Before we get started, uh, a couple things. First of all, there's obviously no children's church this morning. Uh, there is still the nursery and the uh, preschool class in the back. Is that what? The toddler class, thank you. The toddler class and nursery are still going on back there. Um, and for the parents, um, you know, I talked to a couple parents before, like, oh, our kid's in here, and we've got some children's sheets for you to color and stuff that's in the back there. If you want to go get those now, feel free to go get those. I'm excusing you. Go for it if you didn't get those already. And um, to sort of occupy, but some of our kids do such a great job in listening. It's, it's a pleasure to have the children in here at times. And, and uh, because I've heard people say, I don't like going to churches where you don't hear any kids at all. And so it's nice to hear the voices of little children. And how precious. Where's this little girl at? <laughs> oh, my God. We'd like to adopt you. Uh, man, that was just beautiful. Okay, uh, it's so good to have the children uh, part of this church. Um, <clears throat> and I apologize for not getting the email early in the prayer chain for my father. He went into the hospital Monday. Uh, they had a hard, hard time getting his heart under control. And so he was in for that reason. And um, so he was hooked up IVs. Uh, he was dehydrated. It was just sort of ugly for a while. Um, and so... Um, I didn't email out right away because I didn't know what was going on either. And I went Friday to spend time with him and mom um, and had lunch with them. He was home from the hospital. And, you know, he's, my, my dad used to have this nice flock of hair, you know, wavy hair. It's all gone now through the chemo. And um, he, they shared a story with me at lunch. And they just sort of said how the neighbor ladies just came to visit the hospital and just said, I can't believe my mom and dad said this. You know, growing up in a Baptist church, <clears throat> Baptist family, my mom was like, yeah, she said how sexy your dad looks without any hair. Yeah, I can't believe she said that. I look sexy without my hair. I'm going, I've never heard you say that word in the house. I think I'm going to lose my lunch, put me in the hospital because I don't feel good anymore. It's like there's some things parents shouldn't say around their kids, and that was one of them. Um, but, you know, if I don't laugh about it, I'll cry about it. So it's, it's good to... It was good to see them. Thank you for praying, and I'll try to do better at updating what goes on as you update us with your family and concerns. So let me ask you this. You've probably seen that commercial, and I can't even remember what the commercial is for anymore. I think it's maybe uh, a cable commercial or something like that. But it has that guy sit down with the children at the table, and he goes, what's, what's better, faster or slower? And I can't remember you know, what they're advertising for because it's just so cute of a commercial with these kids, and faster, and what's slow? Grandma, you know, and they talk about taping a cheetah to grandma or something like that, that, that would make her faster. And So let me ask you this now, okay? Kids, what's better, stronger or weaker? Stronger. Good, okay, good. Uh, let me ask you another one. Kids, what's better, newer or older? Newer, okay, all right. Now, now parents, I'm not going to ask you to respond out loud, but I want you to think about that. Faster, stronger, uh, newer, those were their answers, right? But faster or slower? Stronger or weaker? Newer or older? Now, as we get older, a lot of us are like, actually, slow's all right, you know? And I sort of have this nostalgic feeling for older things, and, and, and that's okay, and, and uh, you know, maybe the weaker isn't so bad, but um, when I go shopping, you know, sometimes I get to do the grocery part of it, and I'm weighing out things. I'm looking like, Granola bars. Well, wait, this one is more than this one, but how many, how many bars are in that box and that one in ounces? And, and I start weighing out, thinking, which one's the better value? 
you know? And so you weigh things out. And, and it's not just in the grocery shop, and it could be other things. But I'll spend those extra minutes sometimes deciding which one has better value. And sometimes in life, we, we evaluate things, we try to make a choice as to which product, okay, we want, which direction we will take, which relationship we will pursue. And we have to step back and sort of weigh that out and say, which one is going to be better? Which one should I go after? Well, grab your Bibles, okay? Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'll bring one to you. Tim will grab one and bring it, and somebody will bring one if you need one. Uh, but turn to the book of Hebrews, New Testament. Get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Keep going towards the back of the New Testament. You'll go past a bunch of small little books, and you'll eventually get to the book of Hebrews. First, Second Timothy, get past that, you get to Hebrews. You're going to turn to chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Hebrews. See, the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews who were evaluating Jesus and their new faith. They were sort of struggling like, okay, well, we re- this, new, this Jesus is sort of new to us, and so it's new to us, but there's this old faith we sort of followed, and which is better, newer or older, you know, weaker or stronger? They were sort of evaluating their faith. And the message of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better. It's about the supremacy of Christianity being superior. Now, the author of this book teaches on the supremacy of Christ, comparing religion. Uh, The author shows us that Jesus is superior to angels, to leaders, to priests, to other religions. Christ rules over all of them. And then we as readers, we're encouraged to accept and to hold on to this faith. So the first 10 chapters is really showing us that Christ is supreme. He is better. This, this is what really we need in our life. And then you get to chapter 11 and you talk about the witnesses of that faith, the, the faith heroes that we call them in chapter 11. Then from chapter 12 on, we get the practical part of it now. We get the, okay, so here's how you apply this superior faith, this Christ in your life. And he understands, the author does when he wrote this, he understands that sometimes we can rise up for big moments. Man- mankind is able to do that. There's this thing going on tonight. Um, super something, right? Big Super Bowl game, right? And um, it's, it's a championship of all championship games. Whether you like football or not, I'm sorry, this is the big one that everybody gets fired up about. Even if they don't like the teams, they still have a reason to go have a party, to eat chips and drink pop and all that kind of stuff. And whatever they want to do. You know, it's, it's that big moment, right? That moment, players get up for. They get excited about. The opening night of production of a play, for high school musicals or whatever it may be, on Broadway, they get fired up for the, the, the person who's going to be maybe putting on the concert. It's that big moment. It's that big interview with a presentation at, at work that you're going to show something. You get up for that. There's something about mankind that we have this ability to rise up when the occasion is big. You know what I'm saying? But what about the daily grind of what goes on in our lives? How hard is it to get up every day with that kind of, sort of say, we'll call it championship attitude? Just like, okay, today's a big game and I'm all fired up. Why can't we do that every day? Why is that so hard? Why is it such a struggle with everything we face every day? And 
you know, sometimes it's not just the, the major disappointments or the major losses in our life that takes the wind out of our sails. Sometimes it's just a daily grind of waking up and going off and doing whatever that causes us to grow weary and, and tired. And before too long, we give up. Had enough, right? This is now February. We've had a month of New Year's resolutions gone bad, right? What is it about, you know, we, we get so disciplined and excited and all of a sudden that daily grind comes and it's like, you know, my eating habits, I was so good. But those chocolate cookies are even better. So it's so hard, you know, and we have those little weak spots. The exercise, it was going, the treadmill broke. Well, it took him a while to fix the treadmill and, well, I really don't want to get back on to it now that it's fixed and it's too cold to run outside. It, Whew, hurts my lungs, you know? So it's so hard to get back in it. And finances, I was doing so well with saving, so good with not spending, but I really deserve that new jacket. I mean, I really do. I've done so good, I should treat myself. So I'm going to spend that money. It's like, you know, that's the whole point of not spending. You know, you don't treat yourself, right? But oh, I'm out of that habit. Parents, <laughs> How many times have we done so well with parenting our children? Man, I am so on my kid right now. And then I was like, you know, it's so hard to discipline my child. You know, I'm tired of getting on him about this. And so I'm just not going to today. Let him get away with that, right? Relationships. You know, maybe you have had for dating relationships and purity and maybe... Uh, not just purity, but being positive in your relationships or maybe helping out with a neighbor across the street who, you know, you always go get their paper, but well, it's a little snowy today, so I'm, I'm not going to go across and get the newspaper for them. Even in relationships, sometimes we slack and we, we sort of don't stick to what we're doing and we just sort of slide back a couple steps in all these different things. Even our faith. Well, I was so good with getting up and doing my daily devotions and praying and reading, but I wanted to sleep in this morning. And before too long, all of that disciplined life that we had in our eating habits, our exercise, our, our parenting, our spending, our faith, all those disciplined habits all of a sudden start to slip. You know what I'm saying? Nobody does, do you? You are all perfect, right? Nobody's slipping here, right? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 12, let me read this. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on your shaky legs. Read that again. Take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then those who follow you, though they're weak and lame, will not stumble and fall, but they will become strong. Look carefully at this passage. Verse 12, it says that we're supposed to take a new grip with our tired hands. We're, another translation is slack hands. Slack hands. It's the same phrase that's used in the Old Testament describing the children of Israel. I don't know if some of you remember the story of Moses when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered out into the wilderness. And after years of wandering and traveling, everybody started getting a little whiny and complainy. I don't like sand in my sandals all the time, and I'm tired of this manna, and, and I wish I could be back in Egypt so we could just have a better lifestyle. And they started to complain. 
They started to grow tired, and the slack hands is what it was talked about in, that, in those passages with the children of Israel. This is the same phrase being used here, okay? The author here in Hebrews is saying, I know you're tired. I get that. You're exhausted. I know daily life runs you down. I mean, how many of you, like, without that Mountain Dew, that cup of coffee in the morning, that whatever, you're sort of like, I don't know if I can go on. You know what I'm saying? You're sort of like, I just need a little, oh, something to get me going. And we sort of become routine then and saying, well, I need that caffeine to go. And it's because we're run down, right? We're so tired. We're, we're lacking in our rest. We're lacking in our disciplines. So it's easy to say, I want to go back to what was easier. Isn't it? I mean, you know, I remember when I didn't have to get up so early to read. I remember when I didn't have to discipline myself and, and I was able to drink my pop and have my sugar. And, and I remember when it was so much easier that I didn't have to go out and exercise because now I got to go out and buy tennis shoes and that cost me money. It's so much easier just to go spend money and not worry about paying off those cards, right? It, it is easier, isn't it? Or not? It sounds easier, but I don't think it is. So before you decide to give up due to your exhaustion, let me ask you this. Is it really a good thing? It's like a coach trying to rally that tired team in the fourth quarter, right? It's like that boss who's coming along and saying, come on, come on, I, you only got an hour left of work. Let's see what more you can do in production here. How many times have you walked up to a store? The store closes at 8, it's 7.45. They've already started turning off the lights. They've already started sweeping, and it looks like they already turned off the open sign. And you're sitting there going, they're supposed to be open for another 15 minutes. And they're already closing up. It sort of makes you a little, I don't know, upset, a little frustrated. It's like, come on, just give me 15 more minutes of your time, right? But the person on the inside is like, I am done for the day. And because they have chosen to sort of kick back and close up, now that it's affected somebody else. As a believer in Christ, we sort of have this double duty, okay? If you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, guess what? We, we have this double duty. We first of all have a duty to God and a duty to man, okay? To God, we, we present to God a clean heart. To God, we offer our hearts to God. And then to man, to man we present an upright life. To man, we present our service. So the author here in Hebrews 12 says, this is where we begin. I know you're tired, but with your tired hands and your weak knees, I want you to stand strong. I understand living a disciplined life is hard. I get that. Hang in there, please. Hang in there. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to mark out a straight path. I want you to take aim. Let me hear you say aim. Children, all the children in here and youth, let me hear you say aim. One more time, nice loud. Very good. It's coming strong over here, and some of you over here, children, youth, are like, let the kids over there say it, right? Okay. Uh, some of the teenagers in the back row wearing black. Look at our four strong senior high guys back there. Okay. I won't make you say it, guys. Okay. But I want the children to say aim because here's the deal. When I was a kid growing up, I always wanted a BB gun. It's just like that movie Christmas story, the Red Rider BB gun. Yeah, you're going to take an eye out, right? And today I understand this is a very sensitive issue with gun control, with what's going on in our schools. I get that. I understand that. But 
But let's be real here. As kids, when they're growing up, especially boys, boys will be boys, right? We always wanted guns. And as parents, you try to take away their guns and say, you're not going to play with that. What do we do? We get a piece of cheese, we tear it around, and, make, and we make a gun out of cheese, right? We, a pretzel rod is my new gun, you know? Bite it off, it's okay. I got a pistol now. It doesn't matter. We figured out as boys how to make guns out of things. Gun, gun wrappers, twist it around. I won't show you how, but we learned to use it as a gun. I, I'm telling you, whether, whatever it is, whether it's a gun that makes noise or sh- shoots a, a Nerf bullet, I mean, they, when you first give that little child a gun and they pull it out, they wave it around like a whip, right? And as a parent, you're sitting there saying, I'm so glad it's not real and I'm so glad it's not loaded, right? Because they don't know how to handle it right. Now, that child has no clue about how to aim. So when that child first gets that Nerf gun or that little toy gun, as a parent, you're like, okay, whoa, son, I know it's just a toy, but we still don't point it at people, and we still don't da-da-da, and we, we have all these things. Here's how you aim it, and you show them a target, and you help them point at the target and say, this is called aiming. Take aim. Find that target. And so we teach the children the importance of aiming and the practice of aiming and hitting the target. Well, here in this passage, this author gets it. When we are young in our faith, when we're just starting to open up the Bible, guess what? We're like children, spiritually speaking. And God says, you need to know how to take aim. So I want to raise you up as a young Christian knowing how to take aim, what to aim at. Our aim is not fully developed when we first give our lives to Christ. We're not sure what to aim at. So the author says, here's what I want you to do. There are many people, because of your duty to man, because you presented your heart to God, now your duty to man is, I want you to take aim at those who right now are lame, those who are struggling, those who are are failing to get up, and I want you to go help them. I want you to help them become stronger. And this is how you're going to do it. Okay? So we're going to help others first by our example. Let me ask you this. When you think about your example out in the workforce, out in the everyday world, what kind of example do you give to others? Do people see Jesus in you? Do people look at you and say, there's something different about that person. They must have faith in God. Look at how they live. Look at how they act. Because you are the first example to help them take aim. The message translation, if we were to look at Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 12, and read this from the message translation. It says this. Don't sit around on your hands. I love that. Don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. There's some soccer coaches, and there's all kinds of coaches in here I know. There's all kinds of runners in here. But I was thinking about this for a soccer coach. I know they don't like soccer fields that have holes in them because they don't want their players to twist their ankles and sprain them. But here's the deal. So they will go out and they'll find those holes. They will fill those holes, right? But guess what? They aren't filling it just for their own players. They're filling it for the other team too and for the people that will come onto that field later. There's a concern not just about their own safety, but the safety of those that they're with. And I love it when I see this. It says, clear the path for the long-distance runner so no one will trip or fall, so no one will step in a hole or sprain an ankle. See, as our example going out there and living before these people, we are filling the holes by how we live. 
We make a straight path. We clear the path. We help them to move in the right direction. And what is that direction? We're going to give you two aims. Let me hear you say two. Children, let me hear you say aim. Very good. So here's our two aims at. First of all, look at verse 14. Let's read this. Try to live at peace with everyone and seek to live a clean and holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Here's our first aim. We aim at peace. Let me hear you say aim at peace. Aim at peace. That's the first thing we got to work at. Work at living at peace with everyone is what the scripture says. Peace is an intensely positive thing. It really is. It's not just freedom from trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Third grade, I wrote down on a piece of paper in third grade class. I'll never forget it. My parents have reminded me of this. Our parent, uh, the teacher had down, what things do you not like? What would you not like? I wrote down green beans and getting in trouble. Okay, I don't know why. I love green beans. Getting in trouble, I'm still, you know, questionable on that one, okay? But for, as a young age, I was always told, never get in trouble. Never get in trouble. And when I did get in trouble, I didn't feel good. When my mom asked me to go out and mow the yard and I decided to take my bike and go up in the barn, our barn was big and when we had all the, the bales of hay and straw, it was my little mini Indy 500, okay? I would take my bike and I would go up there and I'd ride all over the barn and, and, and just have fun. And when my mom came up to the barn and asked for my belt and reminded me of what she'd asked me to do earlier and I was disobedient from that moment on, I didn't like getting in trouble, okay? Parents understand what the belt's about, right? Some of our kids don't. The belt? What's that? Because, you know, they don't have belts to hold their pants up and they don't get beaten with them, right? <laughs> so anyway, we know what belts are. Anyway, so I, didn't, I did not want to get in trouble because there was, you know, and so peace is more than just freedom from trouble, right? It's first, it's more, it's first aiming to have complete obedience to God. I want to have complete obedience with God. Okay, when we're obedient with God, guess what? We discover peace. There's this new peace we have. Think back to the very first story in the Bible of Adam and Eve. They were at peace with God. They walked with God. And the moment they disobeyed God, what happened? They hid from God. There was no peace. When they disobeyed, there was no peace. They hid from God. And when God tried to call them out and talk with them, what did they do? They covered themselves in shame. They tried to hide their sinfulness, and it was not a good situation. Peace is a right relationship with God, and it's a right relationship between one another. It's when you say, anger and hatred, you have no place in my home. It's seeking to live together in unity, and that's the kind of peace that is supposed to be pursued. When you look at this scripture, look at verse 14, it says, try to live in peace with everyone. Make, which says, work at living in peace, another translation. And again, you go back to the Greek, and the Greek basically means to pursue we mean pursue? That's exactly what I mean. It's I'm running it down as if my life depended on it. How many of us pursue peace in our homes and peace in our relationships as if our life depended on it? You run after it. Did you ever uh, miss a bus as a school child? Anybody ever do that? Uh, one of my first field trips at a park. I have no idea what I was doing. Maybe I was on the merry-go-round. Maybe I was going down the slide a couple extra times. It's probably behind a tree somewhere eating another sandwich. But I don't know, but the school bus loaded up. Everybody, the field trip was over, and I'm over here, and I looked around. Everybody was gone. 
this little chubby boy ran like he had longer legs than what he did, and he didn't, to try to catch that bus. I caught it. And I thought, that just happens as a kid, right? It happened this fall again. I was down uh, in um, Kentucky with Defiance College's football team just across the Kentucky border. Um, they had asked me to travel with them. The coach said, this is Friday night, coach said, hey, everybody down in the hotel lobby at 6.15, we're going out to eat. So 6.13, I'm down in the hotel lobby with a couple other players waiting. I'm thinking, man, it's sort of odd. Where's everybody at? It's just us, a couple of us guys here. Where's all the coaches? Where's all the players? And I asked the players, you know, I sort of looked outside. There's the bus. I said, you guys go out the bus? Yeah, but the doors were closed. Oh, oh. And I went back over now because it's been a couple of minutes. I look, boom, there goes the bus. There goes four 15-passenger vans pulling out of the hotel, heading off to uh, someplace to eat, which I have no clue where we're at because we're in Kentucky somewhere. Myself and these three other football players sprinted a 40-yard dash. I let them go ahead of me. I figured they'll catch the van and stop, and I'll get on, okay? And that's what happened. You know, and I'm sitting there going, don't they know who I am? I'm your chaplain. I got the connection here. You don't. You're going to lose tomorrow. You better let me get in that van, you know? We all know that's not true, right? It didn't matter who I was, okay? The deal was be here at this time on the bus ready to go. And, you know, it wasn't about me. It was about the destination of where we were going. I was not clued in to that, okay? And I had to pursue that destination. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in who we are. Don't you know that? It's not about us. It's about the pursuit of that destination. And what does the author say here? Pursue peace. To have peace in your life, guess what? It requires effort. Look at the person next to you and say, it takes work. Tell them. It takes work. It doesn't happen. You can't just sit around and say, you know, hey, it's their turn. As soon as they say, I'm sorry, then I'll say, I'm sorry. That's what we do. But that's not the life of a Christian. The life of a believer, we're told, guess what? You're the one pursuing peace. You don't wait and see what happens. It's the product of mental and spiritual and actually physical toil and sweat for us to go pursue peace with people. It's really simple. It's right there, okay? I'm not making this up. It's not my opinion. It's what we have to do. And we're not always going to feel love for other believers. You know, and let, me, let me step back for a second here and say this. I'm not talking about peace with people out in this world. I'm talking about peace right here. Christian brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters that may go to a different church. The author is writing this book to believers, not to non-believers. Peace with each other. Pursue it. Like I said, we may not always feel love for other believers, but we have to pursue peace as we strive to be more like Christ. Okay? Let me hear you say, children, let me hear you say, aim. Oh, one more time. You're dozing on me. That's okay. I did too. Here we go. Aim. Excellent. Everybody else, let me hear you say, ho excellent. Thank you. Let me hear the, everybody else say, holiness. Okay. Our first aim was at peace. Our second aim is holiness. Look at verse 14 continues. It said, Work at living that holy life. You know, we live in the world, and a man who is holy must always, in one sense, be different and separate from it. It's just the way it is. We live in a world, 
where the world has its standards. And guess what? As believers in Jesus Christ, our standards and the world's standards are not the same. They're just not the same. Our conduct and the world's conducts are not the same. Our aim is not to stand well with other people. It's to stand well with God. If you have a choice to say, well, I don't know if I'm going to make that person happy or not or make God happy or not, guess what? You have to go with making God happy first. But too many of us are like, well, I don't want them to be mad at me. Well, let me ask you this. Do you want God to be mad at you? Theologian Brooke Westcott once said this, it's the preparation for the presence of God. When we're working at trying to live a holy life, it's the preparation for the presence of God. Think about that. Our life should be dominated by the constant thought that our greatest aim is to enter into the presence of God. Right now, could we walk into the presence of God and be okay with where we're at? If you're preparing for a job interview, an opportunity to meet with the owner of a corporation, maybe you got an invitation to go to the White House for lunch, I would imagine we're going to clean up and put on our best, or at least close to it. We would, to aim at holiness means I'm, you know, right now, I'm living in the now with the thought of being prepared to enter the presence of God. I'm aiming at peace. I'm aiming at holiness. And they go hand in hand. We'll make sure we understand that. See, when you're at peace with God, through your holiness, you'll learn to be at peace with others. Because you are working at being in the presence of God and how you live in a holy life, a separated life. Guess what? Now I'm ready to connect with you too. Be at peace with you as well. Those go hand in hand. I don't think the author was like, oh, let me just think of a couple things here. Well, let's aim at being peaceful with one another and let's aim at having a holy life. When the author wrote this, God's spirit laid upon his heart. No, these go hand in hand. They go together. They have to be this way. But here's the deal. We have these aims, but we have to be aware of something. Let me hear you say, be aware. Look at the person next to you and say, warning, warning. Yeah, okay. You know, for some of you that are visiting today, you're like, this is goofy. We do it all the time. And for those of you that are always here, I know you don't like it. That's why we do it, okay? But be aware. There, let's read on, verse 14. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you will miss out on a special favor of God. Watch out for that bitter root of unbelief that rises up among you. For whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Real quick here, let's be aware of this. First of all, let's be aware of the possibility of failing to see the grace of God. It's like a baseball team that's traveling. They've got about, I don't know, 10 cars lined up in a little caravan. Let's talk about before GPS, before uh, MapQuest and all that, when we actually had to look in our rearview mirror and see who was behind us. Are they still falling? Yep, they're still falling. Okay, we got everybody here? We got everybody together. Oh, I think they got caught that last red light. And we pull over and we wait for everybody to get through the next red light. And then we keep traveling. This is the picture of what we got here, okay? It's that thing of, has anyone fallen behind? As a church family, we look out and we say, is anybody falling behind? Is anybody struggling in sin? I don't want anyone in to miss out on the grace of God. Because the grace of God is so awesome, I don't want you to miss out. So it's like we check in our spiritual rearview mirrors and say, is anybody falling behind? Let's, let's all stick together on this. Let's keep moving forward on this. That's the first part. And then look at the next part. Beware of this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So that phrase actually came from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 15. Let me read that to you from the Old Testament. I'm making this covenant with both you 
who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God and also with the future generations who are not standing here today. That's us. You remember how we lived in the land of Egypt, how we traveled through the lands of enemy nations as we left? You've seen their detestable practices, their idols made of wood, stone, silver, and gold. I'm making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, woman, clan, tribe, will turn away from the Lord our God to worship all these other nations so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. Let me explain that passage really quick. God was making a covenant with his people. And he said, in doing so, I'm making this covenant with you because I don't want you to turn away from me. I want us to be together as family. An incredible spiritual family. But this phrase describes a man who goes after strange gods and then encourages other people to do the same. It's like, hey, let's go this way and do this. And in doing so, it becomes a, a negative influence in the community of believers. So basically, this is a warning against becoming a corrupting influence. Be aware that an infection that spreads, we all know this right now, it's the flu season, people get sick, and it spreads quickly through the house, right? It happens the same way spiritually. Our negative attitudes, our resentment, our bad habits, which may be deliberate, sometimes unconscious, not even thinking about it, spreads like an infection. When we're unforgiving, when we are bitter, when we are emotionally negative with others, guess what? We're poisoning the root of relationships. When that root is poisoned, eventually the poison spreads and the whole plant is infected. We are the roots here, okay? So when one of us is infected, it can easily spread through the rest of the body. Does that make sense? When we allow disappointment to grow, guess what? It becomes resentment. When we allow grudges over past happenings, when we allow jealousy or some kind of dissension to take root, it grows to bitterness. Eventually, bitterness corrupts not just you, but your relationships. Because you're the one that's bitter, and even though you're hanging around somebody who's not bitter, they feel it, they see it, and it's like, I like being around you. You're always so negative. You're always so bitter. Even though you're not bitter with me, I feel that vibe. I don't like it. Now I'm affected by it. I really don't want to be around you. Or guess what? Oh, here comes so-and-so. I know what they're going to complain about. You think that Mr. Uh, Joe made me mad is the problem? Guess what? The root of bitterness in you is actually affecting every relationship you touch. You can't allow somebody else's decision to poison your roots. Let me say this, or let me ask you this question to each and every one of us. If somebody has done something to you in the past, can you forgive them? I read this comment the other day. It's quite interesting. Here it is. So why is a car's windshield so large and the rearview mirror so small? Because our past is not as important as is our future. So look ahead and move on. I thought that was a pretty interesting quote. And then there's another one right after that. Friendship is like a book. It takes a few seconds to burn, but it takes a lifetime to write. Another interesting quote. Great quotes, but where are they stem from? Probably from God's Word that tells us the value and the importance of these things in the first place, right? This passage goes on with some more Scripture. We're going to get into it some more next week. There's some more practical stuff coming up here in Hebrews chapter 13. But here's the deal. When this all comes down to it, and you maybe saw the front of your bulletin, the front of your bulletin 
It talks about a love dare. And we're talking about love. See, I, I really want to love others, but I got to love God first. And here's the deal. We can love others because God first loved us. Um, Dan, I think there's that one slide with all the script, those scriptures that we listed. These are different scriptures, and, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but I, I just wanted to point them out real quick. Ephesians 1.4 says this, that even before God made the world, God loved us. Repeat after me, God loves us. God loves us, and he chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us. Next one, 2 Thessalonians 2.16 now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace give us an eternal hope. Then the last one up there, 1 John 4, 9-11. This is a good one. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us. He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. The author here says, listen, I know the daily grind is tough. I know it's, it's hard to live that disciplined life, but you know what? Your example is an example to everybody else. So take aim. Let's get up and do this. Take aim. Aim at peace in that life. You can do this. Have the right aim of being holy, being set apart, and being ready to go into the presence of God. Because when we do this, when we understand that God loves us, we can now love one another. Worship team, would you guys come forward, please? I heard this story. I want to close on this story, and we'll pray. Because I really believe we really can't love others. We can't take a love dare unless we first accept the love of God. And I recently read this story. It illustrates what I'm trying to say. And it goes like this. There's this wealthy man and his son. And uh, they, they loved the rare works of art. They had everything in their, in their collection, from Picasso to Raphael. They'd often sit together and go through their house and look at all the incredible painting collections they had in their house. Well, the Vietnam War came along, and his son went off to, to fight in the war. Very courageous, this young man. But he, he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified. He grieved deeply, deeply over the loss of his son. A few, uh, like a short time later after the war was over, there was a knock at the man's door and he opened up and here was this young soldier. And it was right before Christmas. He was standing there with a large package in his hands. And he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm a soldier who, uh, basically your son gave his life up for me. You see, the day that your son died, he was rescuing a lot of our fellow soldiers in battle, and he was carrying me to safety when he was shot through the heart and died instantly. Sir, your son often talked about you and your love for art. And um, I know this isn't much, and he handed him out this package. I know this isn't much, but I think you would really love it. And so the father opened the package, and it was a portrait of his son. And it was, it was painted by the young man that handed it to him and he stared in awe at the way the soldier had caught the eyes of his son and the personality of his son. And the father was so drawn into the eyes of the, the painting of his son that his eyes started to sort of well up and he started to tear up and he thanked the young man and offered him to pay for the picture. He said, oh no, sir. No, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. 
So the father hung this portrait over his mantle. And you have to remember, he had all these other incredible paintings worth incredible dollars in his house. And when people came to his house, he took them to the mantle first and said, this is my son. Very proud of that picture. And then he'd go look at the other paintings. Not too long after that, uh, this, this man passed away. And they decided to have an auction to auction off all these paintings. Uh, incredible value. So a lot of influential people, a lot of very well-off people who understood the value of these paintings gathered for this auction. And uh, as they gathered on the platform, they started off with the painting of the sun. That was the first painting to be sold. The auctioneer got up with his gavel. We'll start the bidding with the painting of the sun. Who will start the bidding? There was silence. A voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Who will bid for this painting? Where will the bidding start? $100? $200? Where will we begin? Another voice abruptly came from the front this time. We want to see the Van Goghs. We want to see the Rembrandts. Get on with the real stuff. But still the auctioneer continued. The sun. The sun. Who will take the sun? Finally a voice came from the very back of the room. $10. It was... The, the gentleman in the back was the gardener of the family. He's known the family forever. He didn't have much money. All he could offer was $10. He said, $10, I'll take it. I knew the son. All right, $10. Who'll give me a bit of 20? Anyone, 20? Going once, twice. Sold, $10. The son has been sold. The crowd was uh, a little angry at first because... You know, all right, whatever. Somebody in the front shouted, all right, now let's get on with the real auction. The auctioneer laid down his gavel and said, I'm sorry, but the auction is now over. Everybody's like, what? What about the rest of the paintings? Because I'm sorry, but when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation as well, and I could not reveal it until now. And the stipulation was that whoever bought the son inherited the rest of the estate and the paintings. The auction is over. And he walked off. And I thought about that. What a great story. You accept the Son, you get everything. If you accept the Son of God, Jesus Christ, you get everything, including the ability to make peace with others and to strive to live a holy life. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you that you have this incredible deep awe and sense of passion for us in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of how we mess up. Because every one of us in here, we're, we're just that way. But you love us. And thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to, to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. And you told us in your word that if we accept that gift, that act of grace, we'd be saved. So Lord, for those of us in here that have never accepted your son into our life, Lord, now's a good time for us to do that, to tell you we're sorry, 
to tell you that we want to accept that gift of your son because Lord we can't do life on our own I can't love others I can't love you unless I have the love of your son in my life Lord I thank you for the author of Hebrews who's challenged us that when we get a little tired and we sort of want to just take it easy on how we treat others how we live that we're reminded to take our weak hands and knees and to stand strong and to make out a straight path because we are the example to others. So Lord, with your spirit in us, because we've accepted your son, help us now, Lord, to live in a way that honors you, a holy life, Lord, and help us to love others, to pursue peace with our Christian brothers and sisters and with those we meet. Lord, this is our prayer today. We want to aim at being holy. We want to aim at peace. Show us how to do that, Lord, in very practical ways. We love you, Lord, and we sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.